Welcome to the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling. You are about to discover impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you, so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Be sure you visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com. While you're there, subscribe to us via your favorite network. Now tune in, get ready, and enjoy the journey of emerging as a leader of exception in the 21st century. Welcome everyone to the Find Your Leadership Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Vicki Nethling, coming to you from Roswell, Georgia. The goal of this podcast is to bring topics and guests that will empower you to become that confident leader and take your business and your life to the next level. Today, I have with me Erica Anderson. And let me tell you a little bit about Miss Erica. She is the founding partner of Proteus, a coaching, consulting, and training firm that focuses on leader readiness. Over the past 30 years, Erica has developed a reputation for creating approaches to learning and business building that are tailored to her clients' challenges, goals, and culture. She and her colleagues at Proteus focus uniquely on helping leaders at all levels get ready and stay ready to meet whatever the future might bring. Erica is also a keynote speaker and the author of many books, such as Growing Great Employees, Being Strategic, Leading So People Will Follow, Be Bad First, and change from the inside out. I thought we'll take one of those titles from her books and have that as our theme today, Leading So People Will Follow. Please join me in welcoming my guest, Erica Anderson, to our podcast. Erica, I just loved getting to know you better by tooling around in your website and uh, LinkedIn and got to know a little bit more about who you are and what your company does. First, we start with the easy question. Where do you call home? Where do you live? I, at this point in my life, actually have two homes. Uh, <laughs> Yay for you. Home. Yeah. One is we live about an hour and a half of, uh, hour and a half north of New York City in Hudson Valley. That's home mm-hmm. number one. And home number two, where I am right now, is in northern Spain, in a part of northern Spain called Asturias. <gasps> we spend half our time in each place. That's so awesome. Now I know a person who lives in Spain, I can go visit. <laughs> so uh, I, you know, I, I gave more of the high level of, of Erica in that profile, but tell us a bit about your background and, and what led you to founding Proteus? Oh, I love answering that question. So uh Price was founded 33, almost 34 years ago. So in the in the 80s, I was working as um, an instructional designer and head of instructional design in a, in a training company, a management training company. And what I noticed was that at the time, now, now, now we call ourselves business partners. That wasn't a term of art, you know, 35, 40 yes, years ago. Right. But, but that's what I wanted to be. I noticed that um, our clients kind of looked at us like a widget. Kind of, Here, give me six widgets. Give me six learning, you know, 
workshops kind of. And yeah. what I really wanted to do was help our clients get clear about the future they wanted to create for themselves and then help them achieve that future. I didn't want to just be this tactical thing that they threw in. And so that's why I started Proteus. And that has always, in in fact, been the mission of Proteus. It's always been making it easier for clients to clarify and move toward their hope for future. And we created a variety of ways of doing that. You know, we do executive coaching and development. We do leadership training. We do what we call transformation, vision, strategy work, change management work. And so, you know, it's been 34 years and now I'm sort of semi pulled back and my two partners, soon to be three partners, hopefully are are carrying the torch, but it's just, it's been such a wonderful journey. I really love it. Uh, I'm sure it must be hard to step back too. I I can imagine. And I am too, uh, uh, my first rodeo, was in the 70, late 70s, 80s. So I know from where you speak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's it's interesting. My, I was having a conversation with one of my partners today. It has been remarkably not difficult to step back. I think there's all, there's with everything, there's a ripeness, you know, it's like, is it the right time? And it really feels like the right time. And I have tremendous trust and affection oh, for awesome. partners. And, and so it's like, yeah, I'm on to my next chapter. You guys now can run this day to day. It's very cool, actually. That's very good to have that trust, knowing it's safe in the hands of the future. <laughs> and that's really a credit to you. I always say that whenever we're managers and we sometimes forget about the fact that somebody is going to need to take this on and Mm -hmm. how we mentor them, how we develop them is going to be really what brings that trust. Yes. Because you know that you taught them everything that you needed. You were that open vessel for them. I think that's right. And also it's, I mean, uh, if you want to go down a different path, we can, but I love this path. Um, It's also, have you done your own internal work? Like I've worked a lot with leaders who are phasing out or being phased out and often, and I think in some ways it's more difficult for men because men are socialized still to think their identity is all tied up with work. Yeah. But I think you have to do the internal work of understanding what your identity is and some of it's work, but some of, a lot of it's not, you know, yeah. and the, the more you have other things to stand on inside yourself, the easier it is to go into your next phase, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I retired in 2018 and now I'm doing what I love. <laughs> you All right. Yes. So your website says that if you see true shapes of a problem, you can solve it. And I loved that. It really brought a a lot of things to mind as I was reading that. If you can see the true shape of a problem, you can solve it. So I'd like for you to just delve a little bit deeper and share more on that. Yeah. Oh, I love that you picked up on that. So often, and I'm sure you've experienced this. I'm sure anyone who's listening, who's been a manager has experienced this. A lot of times people they bring you problems, but they don't really see the problem clearly because they've already decided what the solution is, right? That's so true. They come to you and say, we need to do this. And if you can, as a a good 
collaborative manager can unwind them from that and say, wait, wait a minute, let's back up. What is actually the problem? What are we really solving for? What's not working? And if you can help people come back to that beginning point of what is not working that needs to work. And it sounds remarkably simple, but it's yeah. it's challenging to do. And it's one of the one of the things I've noticed over the years in working with different leaders is the best leaders ask the best questions. And often those questions are about getting down to what the real problem is, having people kind of take their blinders off, let go of their pre-created, pre-existing solutions, and just like, what's actually not working? What do we need to solve for? Yeah. So that's that's what we mean by that. And if you can help people get down to that, to like, oh, and sometimes they have almost a eureka kind of, oh, Oh, okay. So the problem is we just haven't been clear with the sales people, but <laughs> yes. yes. Okay. Uh, now we can start to solve the problem, right? Yeah. So I was a project lead for many, many years. And part of what I did as a project manager was process mapping as well. And yeah. that was in the first informational phase of project management any project that I did. And it was so tedious for people because they, as you said, wanted to jump to a solution. But for me, it was to, wonderful to see them as I painstakingly put them through the going to understand their processes, to see where the gaps are, where the, where the things there, that opportunities, where all of a sudden they have that aha moment of like, oh, I thought this was broken, but it's really all these things that I could fix and, and that would change things. Exactly. So. When we, in our, we have a, you know, you talked about my, the various books I've written and the latest one, Change from the Inside Out, is about change, about why change is hard, what we can do to make ourselves more change capable. And then our uh, five-step process that we use to help organizations go through change. And the first step is, clarify the change and why it's needed. Yeah. And sometimes we say that to, you know, very senior people in big organizations, we know what the change is. And I, and we say, really describe, describe for us what it is that needs to change. And they'll say things like, we don't have the data. Okay. That's a problem, but what is it that needs to change? Let's unpack it. Let's get down. Yeah. On it, right. Yeah. So, so it's a, it's a wonderful it's a really critical, more than wonderful, really critical skill to develop as a leader to help people get down to the bottom of a problem before they start solving. So that actually goes nicely into my next question. And again, this is, the, I grabbed on this because of my background. People often struggle in verbalizing their vision and strategy how do you help others overcome this challenge? And I can't tell you how many projects I went in and the senior people had no vision through almost the entire project. And as a project lead, it was really difficult for me to be able to give guidance because I had no idea really what their vision or strategy was. Exactly. And that, you know, this is interesting how this is. So the, the second step of our change pro process is, you know, clarify the vision for the future. What will it look like after the change has happened, right? And so part of the problem with people uh, clarifying their vision is that there's a lot of confusion about what vision is. And lots of times senior leaders in an organization think that vision is 
goals. Yeah. We are going to have an EBITDA of this and we're going to make this much money. Okay. Those are perfectly good goals. That's not a vision. And the way we describe vision is vision is your hoped for future. If the things you want come to pass, if the problems you have are solved, if the, so what's your hope for future? And, and the reason we like that phrase is because it's so much more three-dimensional than goals. Mm -hmm. It's like, so when we're helping people, and this is partly an answer to your question, when we're helping people envision their future, we encourage them to get in a mental time machine and pick a, pick a timeframe, say, okay, two years from now, get in the time machine, get out, what would it look like? What yeah. would it feel like? What would it sound like if your problem had been solved? If you had been able to create the kind of company you wanted? And then just kind of stream of consciousness, write that down, write that all down. And then after you've written it all down, gotten it all out and made this kind of three-dimensional, here's my the future I want to create for myself, pick out those four or five things that are really the stakes in the ground, the things that you most want to be true in that future that you envision. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly helpful for, I mean, you've experienced this, it's incredibly helpful for people to have that clarity of here are the four or five things I most want to be true in the future I want to create. There's all kinds of research that's shown that people who get clear about their vision for the future in that way, in that very three-dimensional way of here are the the most important things that would be true in that future are much more likely to achieve that future. And if we take that one step further, now you have this, this vision, this time machine of those things, those four things. Now you have to ask yourself, what do you have to change to make that happen? Exactly. So the way, so as you mentioned, I wrote another book called being strategic. And one of the reasons, one of the many reasons I wrote it was Nobody seemed to have, nobody seemed to agree about what it means to be strategic. I've asked people, <laughs> Google people, it's amazing the extent to which people don't have agreement around that. So at the beginning of the book and in our work, when we do this kind of work that you're talking about, the to helping people, helping people be more strategic, I offer a definition. And the definition I offer for being strategic, and it's very much aligned with what you just said, consistently making the core directional choices that will best move you toward your hope for future, right? Right. So strategy, when we do vision strategy work with people, we say, okay, so that's the future you want to create for yourself. If you had to pick three or at most four highways that you would run down, that you're going to make tactics in to get there, what would those three or four four directional efforts be. And that also is really helpful for people because otherwise they just get lost in a welter of, oh my God, there's a thousand things we could do, right? Yeah. And from a budgetary standpoint too, you know, everybody is competing. Everybody thinks they have the best idea. And if you can always keep them focused on those Mm -hmm. four things, three things, then it's an easy no. You know, it's nothing personal. It's just right now this is not going to take us to where our vision is totally agree there's a there's a guy very famous guy michael porter strategy guy and a lot of the stuff he says is way too complicated i don't even i don't know what he's talking about you know but but he has said some wonderful things and one of my favorite michael porter quotes is the art of strategy lies in deciding what not to do 
Yeah. And that's exactly what you're saying. If you have three or four core strategies, it is easy to say no. It, it is much easier to say we could do that, but that is not going to take us down this path that we've decided is one of our core paths, right? Yeah, right. Absolutely. The next thing is, um, and I loved reading that your company focuses on leadership development. Uh, that's why after retirement, I decided to do this um, podcast as well as the coaching that I do on leadership, because I think there's so many companies that say, oh, well, you know, I, I'm just going to get rid of training and development because it's not necessary. <laughs> and you're never going to get to those four things, those three things, if you don't grow your people. Yeah, They're not going to stay. They're not going to, whatever. Anyway, so my thing was, I would love for you to share some key areas that you offer to your audience for leadership growth. Oh, man, that's a great question. Well, so I would say the one of the things that really that characterizes our approach to leadership development and I think makes it different than lots of people is we really focus on skill development. A lot of leadership training is kind of either informational or motivational. It's like, here's some information about good leaders and here's some examples. Good luck, you know, <laughs> or... <laughs> Leadership is really important. Lead well. Good luck again. And so when we do leadership development, we um, um, what I've always loved to say, it's like, okay, if you were going to learn to be a ballet dancer, you wouldn't just read a bunch of books about ballet and you wouldn't just like have somebody come and tell you how great it is to be a ballet dancer. You would actually learn how to use your body, how to mm -hmm. do it, how to move, how to, right? How to dance. Right. Exactly. And so what we really focus on is are those behaviors and mindsets that leaders need to develop. So for instance, one of the core skills we teach is listening. Yeah. You know, everybody always says, oh, listening is critical. Listening is so important for leaders. Most people don't actually know how to listen very well. And it's a skill. You can yeah. learn how to ask good, curious questions. You can learn how to restate to make sure you understand. You can learn how to pay attention. You know, it's just, there's core skills. So we teach skills like listening and delegation and coaching and giving feedback and yeah. building teams. How do you actually build a good team? Mm -hmm. And and our, our goal is always people should be able to behave more effectively as leaders after they've gone through one of our programs. Not just know more or be excited. They ought to be able to behave differently and think differently. We focus a lot on mindset too. Mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you recognize and manage your self-talk? How do you change your assumptions if they're not serving you? So that combination of learning new behaviors, learning new skills, and being able to manage and change and evolve your mindset, that's how we focus on leadership development. I know I'd love to do different um, activities that cause them to to think as they're doing reflect as well but one of the latest things that I have been incorporating is improv and role-playing and improv where people might think of it as comedy and all this but it really is an excellent tool for being a good active listener and yes. it also 
ties into the mindset because in an improv, they want you to always respond in a positive way. And it's interesting how when you first do it with folks, they keep on going to the negative all the uh, time. Yeah. We have a wonderful um, strategic partner. I'll give her a shout out here named Kat Coppett, who is a very well-known improvisational uh, trainer and uh, improv coach and she focuses on leadership mm -hmm. and she um it's wonderful because she what you were just saying about um respond positively the way she frames that which i love is in improv you're always supposed to keep it moving forward right supportive but literally keep it moving forward and what people tend to do is stop it mm -hmm. and then what leaders tend to do too it's like somebody comes in all excited with a new idea and the leader goes well, we tried that last year. Chunk, dead yeah. stop, right? Versus yeah. tell me more about how that might work. It's just keeping it moving forward. Yeah. It has mm -hmm. a chance. It has a chance, you know? Yeah. So good. All right. Um, we're zooming by here. Uh <laughs> <laughs> So uh, you talked about two of your books. Tell us about a couple other books that you have out there. Well, the first book I wrote, and you know, now it's going to be 20 years in a couple of years, but I, I, I wrote it because I, it's called Growing Great Employees. And I wrote it because I couldn't find it, basically. Mm. <laughs> All the books that I, but that I saw at the time, 15 or 20 years ago, about being manager were either kind of, you know, one minute manager, you know, quick tips and tricks, or dense, thick, Drucker-esque, very theoretical, you know, mm -hmm. and I was, you know, I want to write the like boy and girl scout handbook of management. <laughs> why, why is it important to be a manager? How do you figure out the kind of people you want? How do you find them? How do you get them started? How do you keep them growing? How do you transition? Yeah. them? You know, just that life cycle. And, and it's very skill, skill oriented and very conversational. All my books are very conversational, but it's, it's done really well. It's funny. It's still selling. It's the best selling of all my books, but I, I just feel like I wanted to do that service to managers to like, here's, here's a reference guide. Here's something that can help you do this well. Nice. So that That's was the awesome. first. Yeah. And the second one, we've talked about a little bit being strategic. How do you think and act strategically, which is something that a lot of younger managers, especially get uh, ta told that they're not strategic enough, you know, mm -hmm. and so that focus on learning to make the core directional choices that are going to best lead you toward your hope for future, it implies that you have to get clear about what your hope for future is, and then you have to learn to make those directional choices, and then you have to be consistent in moving toward them. And so that book is about how do you do that? How do you develop those skills? And how do you, what's the process for applying the strategic thinking appropriately in your life and in your leadership? Mm -hmm. And uh, and then the next one, Leading So People Will Follow, which you like the title of. I like that you like the title of. So what, so I'll, I'll give you a little, can I talk a little bit more about that one? Yes, you can. Yeah, you're good. So, um, Right around when I started Proteus, which was in 1990, I started noticing this really interesting phenomenon that the person with the title on their door wasn't always the person that people 
active like was a leader, right? And I started mm -hmm. to call it accepted versus appointed leaders. And I started to think, wow, what's what's the difference there? And when it really, one day it just became so obvious to me, I was sitting, a, a guy that I was coaching who was the head of a television network, he was talking to his top 20 or 30 people. And I was standing in the back room just observing. And everybody was listening. I mean, they weren't running out of the room screaming, they were all listening. But I noticed that every few minutes, somebody would look at the CFO clearly to see what he thought about what was being said. And by the end of the 20 minutes or 25 minutes that the guy talked, almost everybody had checked out the CFO a couple of times. I'm like, oh, they're acting like he's the act. They're, they're more interested mm -hmm. in his response than they are in what this guy's saying. That's fascinating. So then I started to think about it and I thought, okay, so if you think about it, choosing the right leader until very recently, and maybe still, but until very recently was a life or death decision. I mean, a couple hundred years ago, if you chose the wrong leader, you were much more likely to get killed by the invading whoever's or <laughs> starve to death or get caught in a blade, right? Yeah. And so that's that's deep wiring. So, okay, so how do we how do we know? How did they know to look to that CFO? And so at the time, this is 30 plus years ago, my kids who are now well into adulthood were little kids and I was reading them stories. And I noticed that almost every culture has stories about, you know, there's three brothers, almost all his brothers, sadly, but there's three brothers and the two eldest, there's a quest and the two eldest fail spectacularly. And the youngest who starts out, you know, a little kid by the fire goes through all these trials and tribulations, develops, has or develops these capabilities and saves the princess and becomes the king. And we all live happily ever after. And I noticed that I really, I started reading those stories intentionally. And I noticed that they were always the same skills and capabilities that the kid was developing. And so I read maybe hundreds, but literally dozens of these stories from all different culture. And I extracted these six capabilities um. that I decided are these things that are wired into us that we look for when we're choosing, when we're deciding who to follow um. as a so that's what the book is based on. I'll tell you what the six are. And uh, and then we we created a, a you know a survey mm -hmm. about all these questions. And it and and our statistician who created the survey said, yes, these six things are highly associated with followership, right? Wow. People follow people who in whom they see these characteristics. So the six characteristics, <laughs> which I love, the first one is far-sighted uh, we uh, leaders who can see back to our about vision right who can yeah, the very thing. and who can articulate it in a compelling and inclusive way like we're all going to get there together right mm -hmm. so far-sighted the second one is passionate and what that means is deeply committed mm -hmm. and yet malleable it doesn't mm -hmm. mean dogmatic it means deeply committed but still open right mm -hmm. Very interesting one. The third one is courageous. Yeah. And mostly what that means is willing to do personally difficult things for the good of the enterprise. Nice. Right? Mm -hmm. We want to see that. We need to see that. The next one is wise. 
And what that means mostly is learning from experience. It doesn't just mean knowing a bunch of stuff. It means knowing what to do with it. <laughs> Learn from that experience that we make smart choices based on our moral compass and our experience, right? Mm-hmm. Wise. The next one is generous. We want leaders who share their wisdom, share their resources, share the credit, share the hope, share the faith, who are generous with all that they have. We don't want leaders who hoard hoard things for themselves. And finally, trustworthy. Mm. We want leaders who can be counted on to do what they say they're going to do, who we know have our best interests at heart, who are capable of doing what they say they're going to do and will follow through. Awesome. Awesome. Definitely have to get that book. I agree with all of your six things too. I've seen that in action. Right up your alley. Yeah, for sure. Feedback first is about being a master learner. It's the four mental skills that people who are great learners who continue to learn throughout their lives uh, utilize. So we uh, are running out of time. My last question was, something that I think we'll just do another episode on. And it's the five tips for developing talent in a hybrid work environment. Um, I I think it's important that people understand this. It it is the way of the future as you're talking about having that farsightedness. And and a lot of people are struggling with how to do it. And so I would love to have another episode just on that topic. I would love that too. That would be great. I mean, the one thing that I will throw in there is we we have found that building teams in a hybrid environment, that the core elements of a strong team are the same, whether you're completely distant, hybrid, or and, and those five elements that we help people with over and over again are clear and compelling goals. Everybody's got to be on the same page in terms of what the team's trying to do. So that's number one. Second one is agreed upon ways of measuring progress toward those goals. Everybody has the same measures and hold themselves Mm -hmm. each other accountable to them. The third is clear roles. And this is especially important Mm -hmm. in hybrid workplace that you know what everybody's doing, what everybody's responsible for, and that you all feel like, yeah, if we play these roles, they're the right roles to achieve our goals. The next one, which will be, this will speak to you as a project manager, is great processes that the team has clear, simple, efficient ways of working together. Again, even more important in hybrid than face-to-face because you kind of wing it a little bit if you're face-to-face, you can't so much if you're a hybrid. And the last one, just like with leadership, is high trust. You need to trust each other. And I think you need to trust each other more when you're not face-to-face. And I would add a sixth one, and that is clear communication and consistent. To me, it's Um, a huge, that's, we put that in process that how how meetings work, who gets what information, when and how you share the critical things, information flows, totally agree, really. Yeah. really. So what I, and <clears throat> before I, I retired, I had a team that was across the globe, but I noticed it even more so in my new career as the forgetting, people forgot, you know, during COVID, especially people forgot that you have to just have those check-ins just to, from a human perspective. Yes. Like, how's it going? You know, pretend that we're at the water cooler or pretend that we're in the lunchroom, having those kind of conversations that have nothing to do 
with your project or your, your team or anything. It's just like, how are you doing today? And I think Boy, that's I, something I, that people I, struggle with. Would not agree with that more. And in fact, in our monthly Proteus meetings, we've, uh, we start with this thing now where there are usually between 20 and 30 of us on, on, on the call. So it's a lot of people you can't have, you know, so we start by, we take 10 minutes or so, uh, the, whoever's facilitating the meeting splits us up into groups of four or five and everybody says one good thing, personal and one good thing, professional that happened for them. Yeah. So yeah. It's That's such awesome. a, exactly what you're saying. It's such a wonderful way to start out. It connects us. It feels, mm -hmm. and I, and I, I completely agree with you that the, one of the things we learned all learned during the pandemic being on zoom all the time is you can't just have these purely transactional meetings. It feels, yeah. you know, yeah. And, and you don't build relationships. And, and then when problems occur, there is, it's more of a, uh, everybody takes things more personally than they should, because they're thinking you're attacking them as opposed to, we're just trying to solve this problem. <laughs> you know, we're just trying to figure things out. Yeah. That's a great point. I, to I totally agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you all have enjoyed listening to Eric as much as I have, then you're going to want to get in contact with her. So I'm going to share my screen with her information. You could get this information on my website, thefindyourleadershipconfidence.com or my YouTube site, Vicki Nethling. But for those that are listening, grab that paper pencil. It is, the website is https colon forward slash forward slash Proteus, P-R-O-T-E-U-S dash international.com, ProteusInternational.com. She's on LinkedIn at Erica Anderson, that's E-R-I-K-A-A-N-D-E-R-S-E-N. And Twitter is at Erica Anderson. I'm going to let her, Erica, talk with you a little bit about what you can find when you go to her website or how to get those books on Amazon. Very simple. When you go to our website, you'll find out how we work with clients and you'll hear from some of the clients we work with in these ways that we've talked about leadership development, transformation, executive, you know, coaching. And um, all my books are on Amazon. You can just go to my name and all the books will come up and you can buy whichever one you like. Awesome. So as always, thank you so much for being a fabulous guest. I do look forward to having us come back and talk about hybrid teams and uh, maybe delving a little bit um, more deeply into some of your other books. But thank you. It's been a joy. Thank you so much. This is wonderful. I really appreciate it, Victoria. Awesome. So as always, I remind everyone that life is a journey and it's up to you to enjoy the ride. This is Vicki Nethling signing off. Thank you for tuning into the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast with Vicki Nedling, where we share impactful lessons that help you grow as an individual, grow your confidence, and find the positive and good within you so you powerfully and authentically become the best version of yourself. Remember to visit our website at www.findyourleadershipconfidence.com and enjoy even more great episodes like this one. Again, while you're here, subscribe to us via your favorite network. We look forward to seeing you next time on the Find Your Leadership Confidence Podcast.